you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And you know what? Quite honestly, I'm your rather annoyed central scrutinizer here about 10 minutes after the finish of the Auburn-Missouri basketball game. The Auburn Tigers won 88-82. to But you know what? i got to be quite honest. I think the officials completely ruined that basketball game for me. But you know what? I don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time complaining about the officiating on this program in general, but quite honestly, it was just, it stuck out like a sore thumb tonight. So I have to address it at a certain point, but you know what? Quite honestly, despite the terrible officiating, Missouri still has to look in the mirror in this ball game. And number one, Conzo Martin created committed. I should say was in my mind, coaching malpractice in the first 10 minutes of this basketball game. And that is at about the 15-minute mark. Generally speaking, he takes out Jeremiah Tillman, rests him for a few minutes so he can finish strong for the last 10 minutes of the first half or so. Well, that was the case. Often, Parker Brown gets those minutes. But in this case, it was true freshman Jordan Wilmore. And Jordan Wilmore has hardly played at all this season. And frankly, for the few minutes that Conzo left him out there, well, we kind of saw why. The reality is, is Wilmore is a prospect, a complete prospect. If he's going to be a, and, and really he's a project more than a prospect, I should, I should say. That's what I actually meant to say there. Excuse me. So Wilmore is a project and at his size, frankly, until he gets leaner, until he gets more mobile one way or the other, there's absolutely no way that he can play SEC basketball, especially not against a team like Auburn. And to expect him to be able to play pick-and-roll defense against Sharif Cooper is, is frankly madness. And when you look at the the sequence, when Jordan Wilmore was in the ball game, well, first possession defensively, Wilmore completely overhelped, left his man Came over to help on Cooper. Well, that was an easy dish for a dunk. Then the next time down court, he fouls him. Then, well, hey, offensively, at least he got that wide open dunk that I'm pretty sure anybody on the team could have made. But, hey, at least he made it. God knows Jeremiah Tillman has had problems actually dunking the ball here lately. I got to think that's a fluke, by the way. I'm not going to tell him to suddenly start working on his dunks. But, anyway, regardless, more on Wilmore, you know, Then there was a moment he's frankly is just immobile on the defensive glass too and couldn't really move to get a rebound that was in his area. And then finally, easily burnt by Cooper once again on a pick and roll. I mean, basically they went on an 8-10-0 run there while Jordan Wilmore was in the ball game. And as soon as as he checked into the game, that was odd to me. I just thought, wow, why in, in this particular matchup is he coming in the game? Is he seeing something in practice that I'm not? Well, obviously not, because they did nothing to try to get him involved offensively. And defensively, he was the absolute biggest minus you could possibly imagine. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be harsh 
on the young man. I really don't. What I'm really trying to say is, Conzo Martin, what the hell were you thinking there? I mean, you should have been able to at least see after one or two possessions that this was not going to work. The fact that he left him out there for a full four or five minutes, again, to me, that's coaching malpractice and ended up being the difference in the ball game. Now, fortunately for Missouri, the Auburn Tigers were about as cold from downtown as the Missouri Tigers normally are. Auburn shot just 28%, but honestly, for Missouri to shoot 25 three-pointers, making six of them, that just can't happen. And it's not even so much about the total number. There were so many times in this game where Missouri was suckered in to taking, yes, open, but open for a reason, three-pointers early in the shot clock, particularly Mitchell Smith, Kobe Brown, even Torrance Watson got in on the action. Hey, he thought he thought he had the green light, even though he hardly ever plays. Honestly, and Mark Smith, too, one of six from three-point land. He had one nice one, first play of the second half off a good kick-out pass by Tillman. But otherwise, again, it's not just that his first couple three-pointers were way off the mark. It's just, no pun intended there, by the way, but it's it's just the, the shot selection is just not there either, and he's shooting the ball as if he's a confident shooter that is making everything, that is making 40% in SEC play. Well, clearly, that is not the case. And you know what? If there's ever been a game in Mizzou history where their top three guards fouled out of the game in regulation, well, I would like to see it because somehow Drew Smith, Mark Smith, and Xavier Pinson all fouled out. And that's not even to mention Javon Pickett's four fouls plus another four from Kobe Brown. Yes, Jeremiah Tillman only with three in this ball game. That's absolutely unbelievable. Now, either Missouri was way too aggressive defensively or that was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. Frankly, it may have been a little bit of the former, but in my opinion, it was mostly the mostly the latter. And I have to, to address some of this officiating. But first, the all-new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious than before with six new amazing flavors on top of the original dozen. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. Great for the health-conscious guy. Hey, guess what? You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat with these low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber Built Bars. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. Well, again, I guess when your top three perimeter players combine for 15 fouls, every single one of them fouls out, well, I guess that helps explain why a six foot one, 180 180-pound true freshman was able to get to the foul line 21 
times. Yes, 44 free throws attempted by the Auburn Tigers in this basketball game. That is awfully, awfully tough to overcome. Now, don't get me wrong. Sharif Cooper is one hell of a player. I was telling you guys about how transformational he's been for Auburn coming into this basketball game. And, and if anything, I, over, I undersold it, right? Once Missouri got Cooper into foul trouble, well, into the first half, they go on a huge run, go up by 10 in the amount of time where Cooper was out of the game into the first half. And even start of the second half, they started off strong too with Cooper nursing a bit of a hamstring injury. It seemed like he was trying to loosen up on the sidelines there early in the second. But obviously he comes in, completely dominates the second half with the ball, has it the whole time, manages to somehow not foul out of the game in a game that was called incredibly close on both ends of the court. But, oh, it's just... It was just really tough to just see some of these fouls called. Now, early in the game, it was almost as though, obviously, Auburn was working those backdoor lob passes a lot. It was as though Missouri was unable or really not allowed to defend the lob pass because at one point, Kobe Brown, well, actually, it was Mark Smith was the first one. He jumps up in the air, gets two hands on the basketball as a defender, the offensive player slams into him to the point where Mark lands on the ground back first. Thankfully, he didn't slam his head on the on the hardwood, but somehow Mark Smith got the foul. Unbelievable. And then Kobe Brown, shortly after that, got a questionable one. Mitchell Smith in the first half dives for a loose ball. I actually recorded this one and put it on my Twitter page at... Locked on Mizzou, you can check it out there. But Mitchell, with great hustle, dives for the loose ball, but the Auburn player just falls down. He actually crumbles his legs as if Mitchell had dove into the back of his legs. But on the replay, you can tell, no, there's no contact there whatsoever. So I, I just love that we're we're rewarding soccer-style flopping over hustling now. We're rewarding acting chops over hustle plays. That's really great basketball. It's entertaining stuff. Also, quite honestly, I thought the technical foul on the Auburn kid hanging on the rim, kind of doing a slight pull-up and slapping the backboard, I thought that technical foul was a little bit harsh, but it certainly wasn't as harsh as Jeremiah Tillman missing the dunk and then sort of out of instinct trying to grab it with his other hand while he hung with the other with his other hand on the rim. Now, don't get me wrong, by all means, call that a goaltend or something like that. But to call that a technical foul, well, that certainly isn't the spirit of that rule whatsoever. You're, it's supposed to be a taunting foul. It's not about, oh, well, if you'd instinctually let one hand off the off the, off the the rim after you just missed a dunk trying to follow it. Like th- That is not the spirit of the rule whatsoever. But... You know what? Apparently, these refs were just ready to blow the whistle at absolutely any opportunity because, well, they called 52 personal fouls in the game. Again, 52. That's absolutely astonishing. Honestly, I have several other calls that I wrote down in my notes that I absolutely hated in this game, but I really don't want to drone on about the officiating anymore because there were still a lot of things that Missouri could have done better to win this basketball game. 
And in particular, you know, their defensive Sharif Cooper just just left a lot to be desired. You know, early when Cooper came back in the game in the second half, Missouri ran a couple double teams his way on those ball screens, and they were pretty effective. Just getting the ball out of his hands made Auburn's offense much less effective. But it seemed like for the most part, they were willing to just kind of run their usual pick-and-roll defense. Again, in my preview episode, I really thought Missouri just needed to aggressively go under every single one of Cooper's ball screens, but they just weren't doing that for the most part. They were content to go over the top, kind of chase him from behind, and in that situation, Cooper would slow down and end up drawing a lot of fouls, and you know it would just put... Tillman in a bind often, whoever was guarding the screener's man would then put him in a bind where he's got to play in between Cooper and his man. To me, I just think Missouri would have gummed up their half-court offense so much better if they'd have just gone under those screens. And certainly, there would have been a lot fewer free-throw opportunities for Auburn and Cooper in particular, who was, to be fair, he was getting calls as if he was the third, you know, hey, remember the MJ-LeBron debate? Well, what about Sharif Cooper? Apparently the officials think he's in that debate right now based on the kind of calls he was getting. But in all seriousness, Mizzou, to me, they could have played a lot smarter strategic defense there. Again, just every time they went over the screen, you know, whether it was Smith, whether it was Pinson, just – they're always getting ended up getting behind him, and he's he's basically under perfect control there because he's such a good ball handler, such a good passer. If you're going to get behind him, well, now he's in the driver's seat. I, I just didn't like how Mizzou defended that for the most part this evening. Plus, once Cooper got his third foul, at one point, they just cleared the side for Javon Pickett and he went at him, and it worked because, well, the defender was forced to come over late, and he goaltended a shot. Pickett basically backed down like he was Charles Barkley in 1994 or something like that. But again, it worked, and to me, Missouri, again, offensively should have been much more aggressive in either going right at Cooper with with actual drives or putting him in screen action, anything off the ball, just any situation where he can maybe pick up another foul because there was one play in particular where we were really close to getting him into a charge. Obviously, that went against Missouri, but we just needed more of that. We needed putting him in more situations defensively where he was not only forced to not pick up a foul, but just defend in general. I think, again, it's his sixth game as a college basketball player. He probably doesn't have all the nuances of defense down yet. And he's also not exactly the biggest guy in the world either. So that combined with his foul trouble, to me, Missouri really missed a big opportunity there in the second half to put Cooper under pressure defensively and possibly put him on the bench with even more foul trouble. The only other things I really haven't mentioned so far, obviously, Jeremiah Tillman played a really good ball game tonight for the most part, but yikes, 3 of 11 from the foul line. That's pretty rough. That's obviously not going to cut it. That hurt Missouri a lot, to, to point out the the incredibly obvious. And finally, 14 blocked shots by Auburn. 
obviously far, far, far too many. It just sometimes that happens to Missouri for whatever reason. And several, obviously, a big part of it is Missouri's lack of spacing that their poor three point shooting creates. But for whatever reason, in certain matchups, it just seems like Missouri has a hard time finishing at the rim. And man, 14 block shots makes it tough to win. It really does, to point out the incredibly obvious. But to point out the even more obvious, I think we have about the greatest deal of all time with betonline.ag, which is the one place that has you covered and the one place that we trust here at the Locked On Podcasting Network. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for the greatest bonus of all time. And that is your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Prove how smart you are to everybody in the world. And don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive 50% on top of whatever you deposit with your first deposit. So don't forget to check out bet online on social media as well at bet online underscore ag bet online your online sportsbook experts and if you funded that new betonline.ag account well definitely subscribe to locked on bets wherever you get your podcast because lee sterling is frankly on absolute fire the guy's a veteran from paramount sports And he and your boy Q will be picking college basketball, NFL, well, the Super Bowl, really. Next couple weeks, they're giving out a prop every single day. So check them out. Again, Locked On Bets, wherever you get your podcasts. And you know what? That's going to be it for me and Missouri on this podcast. But you know what? I got a very special presentation here for you in this last segment. Believe it or not, it's been one year since the tragic death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and the other souls that were aboard that helicopter in California. And the guys at Rejecting the Screen, part of the Locked On Network with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, airing a two-day tribute to Kobe Bryant, featuring all kinds of stories told to them over the years from guys who played with Kobe in the NBA. So you know what? Here is... About a nine and a half minute excerpt from them. And if you enjoy this, you want to check out the whole episode, check out their podcast. Again, subscribe to Rejecting the Screen wherever you get your podcasts. You know what? Without further ado, here is Rejecting the Screen on Kobe Bryant. This is Adam Stanko from the Rejecting the Screen podcast. It's unfathomable to think that a year has passed since that you'll never forget where you were moment when we all found out Kobe Bryant his daughter Gigi, and seven others died tragically in a helicopter crash. Everyone associated with the NBA has a Kobe story, because he meant so much to so many of us. Our way to honor Kobe was to compile some of our favorite stories from interviews my co-host Noah Kozlov and I conducted with teammates, opponents, coaches, and writers who had something to say about the man who famously wore number 8 and number 24. We put together all of those stories, many of which you've never heard before, on a two-part podcast on Rejecting the Screen, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're about to play an excerpt from Part 1, which drops on Tuesday, January 26th, with Part 2 coming on January 28th. 
Subscribe to the pod today so you can listen to both episodes as soon as they're released. We pick up the story as Kobe was ranked as the top prep player in the nation, and his status as a local legend was exploding. There were even rumors of the Lower Marion High School prodigy practicing with the Sixers and dominating the Sixers star wing Jerry Stackhouse in games of one-on-one. Rex Walters was on the Sixers in 96 and told us how he remembered it. Kobe did come to practices or he would come afterwards and come work out at St. Joe's because me not knowing who Kobe was, like once again, I, I didn't follow high school basketball. I was an NBA player. I wasn't into that. I'm sitting there. I'm, 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 I'm leaving to go uh, home. I'm, I'm kind of straightening it up in the locker room. And, and Kobe, sure enough, walks in. And I'm like just making conversation with this kid. I'm like, hey, you know, uh, what you doing here? He's like, yeah, I'm going to go work out. And I'm like, oh, you're a pretty good player? Like, this guy had to be looking at me like, what, what are you, some kind of idiot or something? Because, you know, and then I'm like, well, you know, what schools you're looking at? He's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Kansas. I'm talking to Carolina. He's like, but there's one other thing I'm thinking about. And I'm like, oh. Okay, I was like, well, hey, you know, Dean Smith was a great coach for Michael Jordan. You know, you should think about Carolina. Obviously, Coach Williams is my coach, great coach. You should think about those schools, trying to trying to help out my guy. Uh, you know, next next thing you know, next preseason game, this guy's freaking like yelling over to his point guard, Nick Van Exel, like, hey, you know, I'm guarding. I'm like, I got a mouse over here. I got a mouse. I'm like, man, that's, that's a little disrespectful. I tried to help you, my man, and, and, and you're calling mouse in the house on me. So, obviously, he had to be thinking to himself, what is this guy talking about? So, back to Kobe as the nation's top high school player and those rumors we are hearing of Kobe regularly beating Stackhouse one-on-one. We talked to Jeff Perlman, who wrote the incredible book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Laker dynasty. He said that story was all fabricated. It's crap. Like, it's actually crap. It's just total BS. And, um... It's funny because uh, I basically I reached out to because you hear all these stories, right? You hear all these stories about Kobe and he's he's with the Sixers and he's lighting them up and blah blah blah. And he was definitely a, a great player and definitely showed his skills. And the guys were like, "Yeah, this guy's going to be something." But um, I reached out to Stackhouse via Twitter. I profiled Stackhouse for the Wall Street Journal years ago, and I just reached out to him. Hmm. I don't have a tweet in front of me, but he wrote like, <laughs> "I'm sure." Like, you, you, this is the first thing I think of when people say, "Will so and so regret?" having spoken about Kobe, like he basically said, I've never heard Kobe say they were true, but I've also never heard him say they were false. So F him. Um, <laughs> and like the thing that I, I think is really cool about Kobe and the, uh, and the Sixers workouts, he did not dominate Jerry Stackhouse, pure BS, but he took it to those guys. Um, imagine being, I remember I ran college, I ran uh, cross country at university of Delaware. And I remember my first year freshman, freshman year, I went out to run with the rest of the team. And they were all seniors, and these guys were like all state and all county and all these great runners. And I was terrified. Like, I was absolutely terrified. I just wanted to hang with them. I was terrified. I was scared. I was just praying I'd be able to do it. This guy's running with the Philadelphia 76ers as a <laughs> high school kid and, like, holding his own and doing it. Like, that's insane. And then the other thing, when he was in high school, that I really like is – he would work out. I gotta remember the specifics. He would, I'm gonna actually reread the book before it comes out. So I, you know, um, which is sad that you have to do, but you do have to do. Is he? Um, he would work out, and he drove from one workout to another workout place in the summer, and made sure the heat in his car would be at full blast as he was driving, just to build up his endurance. So like, 
I think he worked out at a track. It was like a 90-degree day outside in Philly, very humid, hot. Gets in the car, blasts the heat all the way, drives to the other workout. Like, he did little things like that that were just absolutely insane all the time. It's 1996, and you're Kobe Bryant. You have an unparalleled level of self-confidence. You've proven to yourself that you can run with the Sixers. And just a year prior, you watched as another high schooler, Kevin Garnett, got selected fifth overall in the 95 draft. So what does Kobe do? He becomes the first guard ever to skip college and enter the draft. And by the way, he was just 17 at the time. 17 years old. Kobe, of course, gets selected 13th overall by the Charlotte Hornets, who immediately trade him to the Lakers for Vladi. Coming into that draft, everyone expected him to end up in L.A., and we talked to a couple of people on the pod who were with teams in that year's lottery. First up, former Vancouver Grizzlies coach and GM Stu Jackson. The Grizzlies had the number three pick and ended up taking Sharif Abdul-Rahim. But we straight up asked Stu, why didn't the Grizz take Kobe Bryant? You know, he, he was a high school player. We were a very young franchise. And, you know, uh, I, I think to draft a high school player at that point in our development as a franchise would have really uh, been going out on a limb, not having this player proven himself against, you know, a higher level of competition. Although I will tell you, you know, Kobe was extremely talented. But the other aspect of Kobe was, he was not going to any franchise other than the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, he got drafted by a different franchise, but that quickly turned around and he mm-hmm. ended up in Los Angeles. And everyone in the draft knew that at that point. So we didn't think that was an option for Kobe Bryant coming to a new country or to, to Vancouver uh, to play basketball. So he was sort of off the board. Leaving the country to play might not have been in Kobe's plans, but would he have played for the Dallas Mavericks, who had the ninth overall pick? Remember at the time, the Mavs had Jason Kidd running the point, and later in their careers, Kobe tried desperately to get the Lakers to trade for Kidd. Well, former Nets head coach Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in 96, and he told us that he thinks they had a shot at getting the high school sensation to come to Dallas. Here's the best story of all, and a true story as well. I was an assistant coach with Jim Clemens and also uh, uh, at the Dallas <laughs> Mavs. We're in the draft, and I asked, I asked the people who, you know, run the draft, I mean, all our scouts, I said, who's the best guy in the draft? They said, Kobe Bryant. He's a high school kid, but he's not, you know, he's not, uh, you know, we, we, we don't know. We think he's going to be the best. And they didn't know whether at that particular time they were going to break up three J's, okay? So I made a comment to them. I said, why don't we bring him in and try him out? I know that the word was out there that he only wanted to go to L.A. I said, but I think he would want to play with Jason and Jimmy if you all think that he's going to be the best player in the draft. We were afraid to do that. We ended up drafting Samaki Walker. I, I'll never forget. I was running around all over, you know, working out Eric Dampier and some other players. And, you know, but I said, man, that's what we should have done. I sat there even those five minutes before we drafted. 
I said, we should draft this kid. Why were they afraid to even, not even to bring him in? Because the word had gotten out there that he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't going to work out for other teams mm-hmm. and things like that. I said, I think he would come, I think he would come and at least give us a, you know, a look-see. I really do. You can hear the rest of our Kobe Stories special on Rejecting the Screen. Subscribe to the podcast today and hear part one on Tuesday, January 26th and part two on January 28th. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network.